Hello, and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell. I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field. So please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Hello, uh, this is uh, Ambassador Jenkins, the uh, founder and executive director of WCAPS, and I would like to welcome all of you to another wonderful podcast uh, that we have here. Um, it's been really an honor, and I, and I tell all of my podcast guests that one of the best parts about doing, the, uh, doing WCAPS and running WCAPS is meeting all the wonderful women out there who um, not only did I not know, but did not know of all the uh, great work that's being done. So it's really my honor to bring you know these women to you so that you can also hear about what they're doing. And for those of you who are interested in some of the fields that they work in, uh, that you can hear you know how how these women got involved in some of these issues and you know some of the things that they really enjoy about their their work. So it's really my honor to introduce Maria Bacazar Teles. And she is a woman who I met about two weeks ago uh, in early April when I was in uh, California doing a joint program with Inclusive and uh, some students from the Berkeley School of Public Policy. And we had a wonderful conversation on redefining national security. And we looked at some issues of the environment, climate change, uh, and other issues. And Maria, has a lot of extensive and wonderful background on issues of food security, which is a topic that I'm particularly interested in. I've always been interested in things like food and water security and the implications of that both abroad and here. So, um, you know, I was so fascinated that I really wanted to have Maria come and say a bit about what she does. So uh, I'll be quiet now because I do want to uh, <laughs> turn it over to Maria and um, have Maria um, introduce, introduce herself. So Maria, could you say a few words and introduce yourself to, to the audience and, and some of your background, please? That'd be great. Yes, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for the opportunity. It is a pleasure and an honor to join this conversation um, and to be part of the mission of WCAP. So like you mentioned, my name is Maria Balcazar and I am a second year Master in Public Policy at the Goldman School of Public Policy in UC Berkeley. I am mainly focusing on food security, food access, and equity issues around food and agriculture. And I am very passionate about this topic. I have worked on this space for quite a bit. My background is actually in biological and agricultural engineering. And so I came into the space really interested on the technology aspect and the production aspect of food and agriculture. I did particularly focus on food processing. And through that work, I ended up doing a lot of research on food security from a global perspective in North Carolina State University, and that work was incredibly illuminating and insightful and sort of shifted me, the outcomes of that work shifted me into the space of food security. And so I'm excited to join this conversation and talk a little bit more about food security and food access, and particularly as it relates to individuals of color in this country and beyond. 
Thanks, Maria. And 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 as you introduce yourself, I am reminded that you are you're you're a graduate student, and you know your your back your your information and your knowledge is so vast um, that I I forget that you're still uh, still in school, which says a lot about uh, <laughs> all the things that you've learned and 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 um, the wealth of knowledge that you have. So, can you say a little bit about um uh, you know um, a little bit more about what interested you back in, I guess you said college when you first started thinking about these issues. Um, what, what is it that sparked your interest, you think, in issues of food security and food equity? Yes, absolutely. Um, so like I mentioned, I did my background in engineering and from there I shifted and I did a master actually in North Carolina State University. And I was focusing on the energy and food and water nexus um, of food production at large. And so I had the great opportunity to join an interdisciplinary research team that included agricultural economists, rural sociologists. And through that project, uh, we developed um, this model. And what we were trying to do is, from a global perspective, try to identify what were the different factors in a nation that affected food security. So we included the local geography, such as the biomes, what is the weather like, what are the natural capital of a country. We included the human capital, the economic capital through GDP, and other factors, political capital, inequality, and governance. So all these different factors using secondary data analysis, meaning taking data from the World Bank and the UN and various sources of data, we compare country to country in order to determine what are countries doing that yield towards more food security or lack of food security, food insecurity. And that work was incredibly insightful because I had the opportunity to be in a very interdisciplinary space. And coming in as an engineer, I assumed, well, you know, the technology factors, um, agricultural resources factor are going to play such a huge role in this, you know? Um, and to the surprise of myself, <laughs> it turns out that the biggest um, factors that loaded most, um, in, most correlated to food insecurity was actually income inequality, so Gini indexes the indexes of inequality, as well as conflict, as well as um, the, um, the, the level of expenditure of a country in arms or in military expenditure. So that insight was incredibly eye-opening for me because here I was really trying to champion food security from an engineering perspective, which, don't get me wrong, is incredibly important, but I never really considered the income inequality levels, the social capital levels, and the governance indicators in the equation. So that really shifted me towards um, looking more at food security and getting more involved even in my own community. So I started to do a lot of work um, supporting Latino communities in the North Carolina Raleigh region teaching them how to cook healthy on a budget and trying to understand who are the folks that are food insecure in this country and seeing that a lot of those folks were Latino, at least in the Raleigh area. Uh, and so getting engaged uh, and just trying to learn more at a local level and supporting folks that were experiencing that as well as 
um, working with farm workers and immigrant farm workers, also again in the North Carolina region. Wow, that's really interesting. So um, when you, what I, there's a lot of things you said that I like and I'd like to get back to. One of them is I like that um, from the very beginning, there was an inter interdisciplinary approach to looking at the issue and bringing in all these different other potential areas uh, of focus that could impact the questions that you were originally asking. Um, was that a unique thing at your, at your university or was that you would say that was a, a typical approach for how to address some of these, address the issue that you're looking at? Mm, that is a great question. Um, I would say that it was pretty unique to my case because I came in and I was doing a lot of work initially in my master program as an engineer on renewable energy and focusing on waste management. And that was really interesting. But in doing that work, I started asking a lot more questions around food security and food access. And I decided to leave this project. So this was like an added bonus that I, I decided to lead. And so I worked with, I, I seek out these opportunities and I seek out these agriculture economists and rural sociologists and other agricultural engineers to develop this project, which I had such a pleasure to do. And thankfully, I had a really good mentor in that university and my, my mentor and, and faculty advisor really allowed me to do sort of two very different projects for my master's, which is pretty unique. Uh, typically a master's student, at least in the STEM field or in the engineering field, will focus on only one thing. So I really had um, a lot of luck uh, and support from my mentor um, in the sense of getting me and giving me the space and the time and the resources to also work on this separate issue. So that's a, a, two questions come out of that. One is, um, were there other young women or women of color also doing this at the time you were doing this? And the second question is, um, many times when I, when I talk with young women and people of color, they mention the role of mentors and, and the importance of somebody helping them kind of sometimes going in a different direction than they had planned or just saying, you should really check out this field. Um, say a little bit about that, because you already talked about the importance of mentors, uh, a mentor in your life. Um, say a bit about that as well, because I think it's good for people to hear about the importance of mentorship. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would say the same as an immigrant uh, student, as an international student that now lives here as an immigrant, I would say that um, mentorship really is important and crucial uh, because you can access those folks in around you in those spaces that have more knowledge and have more um, know-how on how to navigate at these spaces so certainly uh, mentorship is something that I think is super important to create the time and the space to develop and reach out and it takes putting yourself out there but I think it is certainly a very important role in order, um, in order to navigate these spaces, particularly, at least in my case, academia or public policy. There's a lot of social cues and a lot of sort of unspoken norms, social norms that really um, you navigate much better and you discover much quicker if you have a mentor that is really rallying for you and supporting you. So certainly, um, I echo that, super important. 
In terms of women and people of color, um, I will say that in this particular project, I was the only person of color, and I was one out of, one out of two women that were in this particular project. And that is not very uncharacteristic to the engineering space, and I would say particularly the agricultural engineering space. I think agriculture and biological engineering does bring a little bit more women than perhaps other engineering schools in the food processing space. But when I started doing more waste management and energy um, during my master's in North Carolina, I, it, it, it became more clear that um, women of color were less uh, present in those spaces. So what, sorry, my, my mute thing would not go off. So what are the, what are some of the things that kept you going? I mean, what are the, you know, as being, as you said, as you, you know, as you progressed, you know, you, you noticed that there were fewer women of color. Um, what kept you interested in going, uh, even though you realized there were fewer of you um, in that space as you were progressing? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. I would say a very important, a very important experience that I kept having sometimes in this space was, particularly because it is agricultural engineering, there is an interesting relationship or dynamic as to who are the folks that are designing these technologies, who are the, the folks in academia that are talking about food and agriculture and production. And then on the other end, who are the folks that are harvesting our food? Who are the folks that are doing the hard work of food processing and um, working the machinery and doing all of that hard work? And so there is an interesting tension. And being in the space as an agricultural engineer, sometimes having folks around me have conversations around immigrant farm workers and Latinos and that community and not really, in my opinion, sometimes recognizing the human dignity of those workers and the humanness of those workers really kept me going because I think that there's this huge disparity when it comes to who is actually cooking our work, picking our food, running the machinery, putting out pesticides and why not, and then on the other end, who is making decisions from an academia perspective, from a research perspective, from um, a top-down perspective in terms of how we grow and produce food in this country. So I think that that, that dynamic in particularly kept me going and made me curious to learn more on both ends. And so that's why I decided very deliberately to step into um, opportunities where I could connect with farm workers and understand their challenges and support them in order to better understand the larger ecosystem in which food and agriculture really operate. And, and that's an excellent point you made because, um, you know, so a main theory about a main theme for my organization is about the importance of being at the table, um, particularly where on issues that um, one is particularly involved in and will be affected by those decisions. And unfortunately, a lot, you know, in many areas, people of color, women of color are not at the table. 
um, and any of these issues of peace, security, conflict, um, issues that are, you know, that can lead to conflict or impacted by insecurity, um, you know, people of color are normally most affected, and yet we're not at the table. Mm -hmm. So it's good to hear mm -hmm. that you recognize that and you felt a, a, a way in which you can try to, you know, impact that, 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 uh, that dis disparity, a discrepancy. Um, are you, are you feeling now as you look around, is it, do you feel like that's changing any in terms of women and people of color who are involved in the kind of work that you're doing or is it still very much, are you still very much feeling like there's just not enough, in, there's not enough, there's not more people like yourself in the field? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a question that is, it, it changes where you are in the United States. So like being in North Carolina, involved in the space, it is quite different than being in the Berkeley, Oakland area involved in this space. And I think um, it really depends. Um, and it also depends, interestingly enough, which type of spaces and conversations you're joining. So from an engineering perspective, going into some of the conferences uh, for agricultural engineers, those spaces are vastly dominated um, but by folks that don't look like me. Um, and when I go to spaces that are food access and food justice and food security spaces that are more on the advocacy or policy space, you see a lot more women showing up and some women of color showing up. I think regardless, women of color and people of color are not represented in the same way as you how much they do and how engaged they are in the production system uh, and represented by the, the amount of folks that are working in the production system. So just to give you a couple numbers, right now there's around 2 million farm workers, if we talk about farm workers in this country. And out of those around 2 to maybe 2.5 million, 50 to 75% of those farm workers are undocumented. And it is likely that around 80%, if not a little bit more, are immigrants. So it is very disproportionate, the amount and the folks that are working in food harvesting, food processing. And by processing, I mean chicken facilities and meat packers and those types of industries. Um, in comparison with the folks that are joining the conversations on the policy end and on the engineering end. So certainly um, a lot more work to be done in order to ensure that the folks that are going to be affected by the decisions and the technologies that are developed in this space are informed um, and really inclusive and informative of the folks that are going to end up being affected by those. Say a little bit, if you if you don't mind, um, on the work you're doing. You, you're doing some fascinating work with farm workers, and um, say a little bit about that work that you're doing, because um, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, currently, I'm not working with farm workers, so a lot of my experience with farm workers actually uh, came when I was in North Carolina. So I did a lot of a farm worker outreach through legal aid in North Carolina, in which we would essentially go um, 
throughout the North Carolina region. And we would try to identify a number of farms that we would visit. And so we would go visit um, farms that typically were strawberries, blueberries, sweet potatoes. And during that time, um, it was really interesting because we would typically show up and out of nine farms we would go visit, uh, out of 10 farms that we'd go visit, sorry, uh, one perhaps would have farm workers there. And we would go visit around 5 to 7 p.m. in the afternoon, in the evening. And that says a lot as to how much these farm workers are working. Typically for farm workers, they will start the day around 3.30, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and they will oftentimes during high peak season, they will end up uh, working their work day around midnight, 1 a.m., if not like working more than 24 hours. So I think that um, that work was incredibly insightful and incredibly, to be quite honest, painful to observe. It was really in many ways what inspired me to shift and move towards public policy school out of engineering um, and trying to address some of these issues. Because when we did encounter and met farm workers, oftentimes what we would hear is that there was high levels of intimidation, harassment, wage theft is incredibly common, um, and access to basic resources such as a bed, water, a bathroom, uh, is also very, it, it's also not common, you know, like oftentimes we saw folks uh, that did not have any of those resources. And so that work was incredibly insightful and inspired me to shift towards public policy. Wow, that's interesting. And and why do you think, in your, in your opinion, why do you think that um, most Americans, I mean, I think I could probably figure the answer, um, but why do you think that kind of information is not really known? I mean, those kind of hours are just just crazy. Um, and, you know, I just, it's, it, you know, that's the kind of thing folks should be aware of, of what's going on. Um, why do you think that's the case that so little is, I think, is a, people know about what, what the farm workers have to go through? Yeah, that is a great question. I think um, in part it is, because of the way the policies are set up. So currently we have uh, immigrant farm worker visa, uh, which really um, limits the opportunity for farm workers coming into this country legally through that visa program to raise up any concerns or raise up any um, human treatment, um, any, any issues around human treatment or any issues around their own rights. Uh, as workers, legal workers in this country, um, the, the system and the policy in place right now doesn't really give the farm workers the opportunity to raise up concerns and challenges that they might be facing. So that's why oftentimes farm workers will come in without that visa and without um, any type of papers because it is easier if you are undocumented to shift farm to farm. So the way it works is that if you do have a visa, you come in with a sponsor, which is a particular farmer. And so that farmer will manage um, your stay in the U.S. And so if anything arises that you are um, 
that you are no longer wanting to work with this person, that means that they automatically have to go back to their country. And so um, because of these reasons, it is a very obscure system and a very obscure um, supply chain, really, so, like very obscure um, process in general uh, for the folks that are coming in. And also from a farmer perspective, sometimes they're facing incredible economic losses if they don't pick specific products at a specific time. So what happens is that, say, for instance, in North Carolina, if a rain was coming um, that, like in a couple days, and the farmer knew that rain was potentially coming in a couple days, they would try to pick up as many strawberries as possible because their chances of them losing the crop after the, the, the rain would be incredibly high because basically because of the temperature and the humidity and the ecosystem, it was very likely that the strawberries would end up rotting or getting mold or not being able to end up in market. So because of those incredible economic pressures, the farmers are pushed towards trying to get as much crop out of the field as they possibly can. And so the, the, even the, from a biological perspective, the incentives and an economic perspective, the incentive is let's get out as much as we can. So therefore, you have these number of farm workers which are already incredibly um, vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable, um, just pushing them to try to pick up as much as they can. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so let's go back to, I mean, and this leads to some of the things you were talking about. Let's go back to this idea of, um, you know, food equity and income inequality. Um, let's get back to that point because you were making some, some great points about that as you were talking about what you learned about this whole area of food security and food insecurity and the role of income and things like that. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think that's, that connection is very important. Yes, absolutely. Um, so right now, I'm currently working a lot in the space of food security, particularly within my own community right now at the UC Berkeley community. So I work as a lead graduate researcher uh, doing a lot of the monitoring and evaluation for the Basic Needs Committee. So the Basic Needs Committee on campus works with um, students that might be food insecure, homeless or experiencing housing insecurity, as well as students that are experiencing financial insecurity. So with that in mind, we work with students and what we've been able to learn from data is that around 44% of undergraduate students experience food insecurity on campus while studying and 26% of graduate students also experience food insecurity. And when it comes to homelessness, around 10% of students, both undergrad and graduate, have reported experiencing homelessness at some point throughout their stay in school. Mm. I mentioned all of this context because that is also incredibly connected to who are those students that are experiencing food insecurity and homelessness. And oftentimes, those are disproportionately students of color, students from the LGBTQ plus community, as well as students that were formerly incarcerated or former foster youth. Mm -hmm. um, so just to say that when it comes to income inequality, when it comes to the economic landscape 
it is very, very, very connected to the experience, even at a university, a pretty well-established university, that experience is highly connected between who is experiencing these challenges and where are they coming from. And I'll just say that numbers speak for themselves, and it is certainly an issue that needs to be put on the table when we're talking about food security, because food security is such a complex issue, because it is just not about food access. It is certainly around food access, but it's also around the economic background of that person, of that family. It is about culture and community. It is about access to grocery stores, as well as access to money to purchase food if you have a grocery store. This is an incredibly complex space um, that I don't think personally has a silver bullet solution. And in order to address it, we really need to think from a more holistic system thinking perspective to be effective in addressing food security, both on campus, but also in the larger ecosystem. And this is all, this is one of the reasons why this is all so interesting is, um, you know, when people talk about food security or water security, things like that, people think abroad. They think about, you know, they, they see visions of their mind of, you know, um, you know, poor people in parts of the world that are starving because, you know, there, there's no food right there nearby. And, 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 and that is certainly one important aspect of food security that I think automatically people think about because that's the vision that they see on TV. But, you know, mm -hmm. points you're making here are excellent, particularly when you're talking about, you know, for example, students who are, who are food insecure. Um, that big, that's home. That's, that's in the U S that's, that's, you know, around the world. And, you know, there's, there is a definite domestic angle to, the food security issue that, you know, that it's not just international, it's domestic as well. So I think that is really important um, in terms of what you're looking at. And I, I think those statistics about students is particularly important. And I think that, you know, young people can probably, you know, you know, if you bring things down to a, uh, the point where people can feel it closer because it's closer to them, um, regardless of what level of experience or age, I think that's very important. So that's a great statistic that you that you gave us I, and I didn't even think about the, the students I think that's great so you know with all this with all this knowledge you're acquiring at, at such a young age as, as yourself um, you know what are some of the lessons learned that that you know for young young people particularly young women of color who might be interested in, in going into a field uh, and, and particularly in your area where there are not as many women of color Mm, mm. Yeah, great question. I think some of the lessons are, for me at least, are certainly um, ask questions and don't be afraid to ask hard questions and then seeking out the answer, even if that's outside of your area of quote-unquote expertise or the area that you initially started pursuing. So for me, really, um, for me, it's if I'm interested in food security, which I'm so passionate about, and I really, it is my core belief that food should be treated as a human right rather than a commodity or rather than a privilege. Mm -hmm. And with that sort of core belief, 
then how do we make that possible? And how do we shift the larger, daunting, huge and complex food ecosystem? Um, and I think it really starts with creating community and creating mentorship, like developing relationships that support you through mentorship, uh, creating your community that inspires you in this daunting world that sometimes, you know, brings you down because it is not easy to recognize that folks around you are experiencing this issue. So how, how can we shift the narrative and how can we shift the reality to being a more secure, food secure reality? Uh, so mentorship is huge, asking questions and not being afraid to get out of your comfort zone and figure out how to learn new material and, new, and enter new spaces, I think is huge. Um, and I think reaching out, you know, I think, um, when as I get older and as I learn more about the space and navigate these spaces in general more comfortably, I've become more comfortably in reaching out, sending out emails perhaps to a stranger or like somebody that inspires you because you read their article, um, asking questions like if you know somebody that knows could make an introduction to somebody that you really want to work for or perhaps you want to talk to to learn more about their work, then go ahead and do that. Um, I think that as women and as women of color, uh, sometimes we don't step out and seek out opportunities as much because we don't know we can. And at least for me, I've learned that we can and we should. And everybody, like people around you are doing that. So it's not out of the ordinary to seek out conversations, seek out opportunities, seek down a coffee meeting, seek down, seek out um, really just developing a network and developing allies and a community and just being part of that community and showing up. I think um, all of those things for me, having been from engineering to public policy, and now I'm very interested in trying to understand the business space. I'm taking a lot of classes in the MBA school. All of those things is like, it's out of my comfort zone, but why not? Why not show up and learn? Why not show up and see what's happening? I'm trying to get a more informed perspective in order to really dig down at that interdisciplinary research that we were talking about and interdisciplinary outlook to address these really challenging, complex, daunting issues. Wow, that's great. Those, those are great um, things for young people to think about and particularly young women. Uh, of color. And I guess my last question is what, what, since you're still, I mean, you're, you, you have so much knowledge, but you're still early in your, in your career. So what is it that you would like to, to do um, with, with, with the area of food security um, in, in your future? Yes, great question. Uh, so I've been working a lot this last semester on my thesis, um, on, on my final project for my for my graduate studies on social impact and on system thinking. And so I've been working a lot on developing a system map of the food and agricultural system in the US. And so trying to identify all the different forces and actors and um, players that engage in the food system at large. Um, in order to identify how to intervene into that system effectively. And so for me, my hope is to enter 
into the social impact space in some capacity, either through the public sector, philanthropy sector, maybe private sector, and trying to support folks that are interested in shifting that food system by identifying leverage points that make sense giving their work and that really will make an impact and will shift us there. So I'm very fascinated uh, by system thinking and system maps uh, and leveraging that theory towards increasing food access, increasing food security, particularly in light of climate change. Because we haven't talked about climate change yet, but climate change is a huge component and a new factor entering into the challenges of the space of food security. So how do we shift our current system towards being more resilient, sustainable, and equitable? Uh, and I think that really takes a um, holistic system thinking approach. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good note for, for ending because you do make the connection there by talking about climate change, which as you said, is such an important issue regarding food and water security and, and so many other environmental challenges that we're facing right now. And, and it also very, very clearly connects to the global uh, concerns on food security issue and how climate change really does affect food security um, all over the world. So that's a, that's a, a strong connection. Um, and, and as you know, one of the things that, and here at WCAPS, we wanna continue to make the connections between you know, uh, the international and domestic challenges that we're all facing. So with that, Maria, this has been great. Um, I, I just learned so much by listening to you. Um, so I really appreciate your taking the time. Um, I, are you guys in, are almost in finals now or what? Yeah, we're actually two weeks away from finishing classes and then graduation is happening at the end of May. So you know, it's all getting really close to the end. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you once again for this opportunity. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's always great to step back and, and have conversations that, you know, recognizes and, and makes me realize why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the amazing work WCAPS is doing. I think we need more conversations like this and I'm incre incredibly inspired by listening to some of these podcasts from other women. So thank you so much for your work as well. And thank you for your work and for, you know, being a, a pioneer and, and opening doors for other women of color who may want to do this kind of work. And I hope that, that there will be more women and particularly people of color um, in this space, because I really think we do need to have more voices um, who are, you know, who knowledgeable and become experts in this field. So thanks again, and uh, I want to thank uh, everyone for listening in to another really interesting podcast with another very impressive woman of color. Uh, with that, uh, we'll see you at the next one. Thank you for joining Women of Color, Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit WCAPS.org. That's W-C-A-P-S dot org.